Good morning, Bridges family. Really welcome to you. Really excellent to have you here. If you have not been with us before, uh, just a really warm welcome to you. And uh, we always spend time thinking about what God would have to say to us for a week to inspire, encourage us, and strengthen us. If you have a Bible, that's fantastic. I want you to open it up to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some provided for you right in front of you. And right afterwards, we'd love to give you a free Bible or point you to an app that you can stick on your phone so you have it with you all the time, and that's even better. So throughout the day, if you're um, just struggling or if you need just to think about what God's priority for is for you, you can just flip on your phone and look in God's Word. It'd be great. So Mark chapter 2, we've been in a series called Christology, and it really is the study or investigation of who Jesus is. The first couple of weeks, we've taken to think about his authority and his presence. And we've done that because your mission in life, what God has designed you to be and to pursue, is connected to the authority and the presence of Jesus in your life. And without that, you're going to struggle. You won't be able to achieve what God has for you and be all that God has designed for you to be. And with it, God can do remarkable things in and through you. So his presence and authority are significant for all of us. Even if you're at that place where you're still wrestling with, I'm not actually sure who Jesus is or how he would really truly make a difference for me. There are too many Christians, I believe, that lived with a shrink-wrapped view of who Jesus is that matches our culture's confusion about who he is. We treat Jesus as the British treat their monarch, attempting to strip him of all real power and not expecting him to do really much of anything except show up on special events. The British treat their monarch with respect and pay lip service to him, but they don't really expect anything from their monarch. And that's how some of us understand Jesus. You didn't really anticipate for him to do anything with you and through you this week. I'm here to tell you, you just stop that right now. How can I do that with honor and respect, with as much passion and enthusiasm as you need to hear from me? Because God does want to use you and to move you, to change you, and to do authoritative things through you with his strength. This morning, we're going to be thinking about the single greatest defining truth about Jesus that separates him from every philosopher and religious leader in the past. And it demands our attention and investigation and understanding. It is, in fact, central to Christianity. And if you miss this, you'll miss all that's very significant about Jesus. And you'll live a life without his power and his presence. There'll be no reason for you to have significant faith or to be a follower of Christ if you miss this point. It also happens to be outrageously amazing. So Mark chapter 2, we're going to dive into, we're going to look at three passages. First, this one in Mark 2, which is an event that Mark records out of Jesus' early ministry, where he is trying to help people understand who it is that he is in their presence. Mark 2, starting verse 2, we'll work, we'll work through um, verse 12. And when he, that is Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, 
it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. He was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near Jesus or get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, it's a word of affection and connection. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. That's right. They had never in all their experience ever seen or heard or witnessed or been part of anything like what they had experienced there. And there are all kinds of great details about this story. Many of you have heard details about this before. What I want to get at is just the central truth. What was driving Jesus in the moment and the question that he provokes? Because he's stirring something up in them. And he does it by surprisingly saying to this man whom these friends had brought and got to the, to the attention of Jesus, this paralyzed man, Jesus says the first words out of his mouth are, your sins are forgiven. And when he does that, he triggers a response. The guys who are most sensitive in the room to what Jesus had just said, they were the ones who, as a day job, they copied scriptures. That's all they did. They copied the the, the Hebrew scriptures, so people could have, this is before the printing press, right? So people could have copies of, the, of God's word to them. And that's what they did. So they knew it inside and out. And they immediately picked up on the significance of the statement that Jesus had made. But being scribes, that is, you know, their, their job is kind of like accountants. They just, they, they kept quiet. But in their hearts, they're really bugged by what Jesus has just said. They're really struggling because they pick it up right away that Jesus is claiming to be able to forgive sins, and they knew that only God can do that. Only God can forgive sins. Reading their minds and their hearts, which is pretty unsettling, actually, when you think about it. Just a little, take a little side trip here. Did you know that God is a master at understanding exactly what's going on in your mind and your heart right now. Which is a little unsettling, isn't it? For some of us, it makes us squirm. Some of us, we try to run from the presence of God because of it. We try to create distance in ourselves because we're afraid. Maybe we're full of guilt or shame. And we're wondering about what God feels when he sees our motive, our twisted spirit, 
here's what you need to hear about this. God sees you, knows you thoroughly, even this instant, and still remarkably loves you and seeks to heal you, those broken places. So the scribes are thinking and feeling, and Jesus responds to them with a trick question. Here's the question. He says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Then he asks them, which is more difficult? Now I'm going to ask you in a second, which is more difficult? And you get to choose one of the two and raise your hands, okay? Don't look at what other people are doing. Just think about it and just raise your hand, okay? Which is more difficult, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up, take your bed, and get out of here, okay? So who is with the first? Your sins are forgiven. Just raise your hand. That's more difficult, say. Okay, great. And who would say it's to rise up, take your bed, and get out of here? Okay, a little fewer of you, but just pretty much close to even. It is a trick question in one sense in that there are two things going on. First, to say your sins are forgiven means that Jesus had the authority and the power to forgive sins. And that he was going to do something about that, your sin and shame and guilt. He was going to step in and give his very life. He was going to sacrifice himself on a cross to die for you so that you might discover forgiveness. That's hard. It's not easy to say. It was not easy for Jesus just to say that in the moment, knowing what was coming ahead of him, so that he actually had the power to say it. It was difficult. And it's difficult to say, rise up and take your bed and get out of here, because if he didn't rise up, that would be a problem. And in order for him to say, rise up, take up your bed, he would have to have the power and the authority over our brokenness to be able to step in and heal this man with a word. And the man would have to stand up and the crowd would have to respond. And that's exactly what happened. So that you might know that I can forgive sins, he says to the man, stand up. And he does. And at the end of the story, we see that they're all amazed, saying, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. And that's the point of you getting to know my best friend. The point is that you and I would step into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the living Lord God. Understand that he is divine. That only God can do this kind of thing for you, with you. So Mark tells a story, and Jesus leaves them thinking, what's the connection between who Jesus is and his ability to forgive sin and heal real brokenness? The scribes knew God's word. They knew when he said, who can forgive? They were thinking, who can forgive sin? Only God alone can forgive sin. And their blaspheme antenna went poop. They went up. And they're thinking, he's claiming to be God. They caught it. They knew exactly what was happening. Who can forgive sin? The issue was, what is sin's greatest offense? Who is it against? Let's say, after church, um, I just get this urge to like get a Mercedes. I really would like a Mercedes, I guess. And not really, but I really would like a Mercedes. And I decided to steal someone's car. Actually, I'd probably go for Dino's car. 
because it's really fast. So let's say I steal his car. And uh, that would be a problem, right? I would be offending Dino. And my fence would be against my family. I would disappoint my, my kids and my wife. I would be offending them. And I would be offending myself, actually, because I would be doing something that violated my reputation. And, no doubt, I would be offending the law of the land, and I would get caught because I don't do that kind of thing. I'm a rookie. I'd be sending some stupid mistake, and i get caught, and I'd be held accountable. But the greatest offense would not be against any one of these. The greatest offense of my sin is against the living God who created me and who loves me and died for me. That's the greatest offense of sin. And only God can forgive. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they pick it up immediately that there's only one who can repair what's irreparable. That kind of damage that sin does to me. There's only one. So they get it. They understand it. And then Jesus demonstrates his power through this physical act that validates his claim. And every writer of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they keep returning to this theme about what's so unique about Jesus, that he was God in the flesh. That's the claim that Jesus claimed to be and demonstrated himself to be God that sets him apart from every teacher and philosopher. And that claim would be empty and ludicrous and offensive and dangerous if he didn't prove it with concrete proof through his acts, through his words, through his resurrection. And that's why every chapter in the book of John keeps returning to this theme, that he was God himself. It's a central theme. Here's one example from the book of John. It's found in John chapter 10, starting in verse 24. John 10, starting verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, that is the one prophesied throughout the Old Testament, the Messiah, the one who God was sending, if you're that one, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. You've been resisting it because of all your assumptions, because of your culture, because of the way you think. You continue to resist what's true and plain before you. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. You have resisted being mine. Even though I made you, even though I created you, and even though I loved you, you would not be mine. You would not follow me. You would not give me your affection. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Jesus is speaking into this dilemma. A group of people have been following him around. And they had been listening to his unique teaching and watching the way he lived his life and seeing him do all these really remarkable things that were astounding to them. Acts of healing and compassion 
yet they were resistant. They kept pushing back. And they struggled with the facts in front of them because of their assumptions. They were resisting listening to God's voice because his presence and his identity challenged their false assumptions. And they were going to have to let go of those assumptions if they were going to believe and trust him and follow him. Just like my friends, just like your friends, maybe some of you would have to let go of stuff if we were going to choose to follow Jesus, if we're going to choose to acknowledge who he is, who he truly is. Here were some of their assumptions. First, they assumed that they could define God. They believed that they had him figured out. In their view, God acted according to prescribed rules and for their benefit. Although scripture is very clear that God is not fully knowable and God does not act for your purposes. He acts for his own glory. They struggled with this kind of Messiah that God sent to them because he wasn't acting like they wanted him to act. He wasn't playing by their rules. And he wasn't accomplishing the kind of victory that they wanted. The reality was their worldview precluded God from being God and actually entering their world and upsetting their lives. Here's the deal. Jesus is upsetting Do you know that? All kinds of great things about the Lord Jesus, about his friendship and affection to you, about his great persistent love for you, about the way that he can forgive sins and cleanse you, take all the shame and guilt away, and move you to a place that's so much better than where you're at right now. There's so many great things about it, but here's the deal. He's upsetting. He is going to force growth. And the closer you get to him, those things are going to be carved out of your life that need to leave, but it's not comfortable. It's difficult. And you're going to know that you don't define God. God defines himself. The next time you ask a friend what they think of who God is, listen to the response carefully. Don't jump in with all these arguments. Just listen. For many people that I know, when I ask a similar question, they are basing their answer on who God is on their own desires, the way that they have shrunken God to man-sized dimensions. So he's comfortable for them and their lifestyle. They don't have to change. But that's not the story of the Bible, of Scripture at all. The story is, that he claims to be God himself and that he defines things. And they assumed that their way of life was more important than what Jesus had in store for them. Of course, they would never put it that way, right? We don't don't say those things to God. They believed that the law and their customs and the religion was the end goal of God. These scribes did. But that's not God's end goal. Those were simply tools to help people see the end goal. The end goal is for the nations, people of every tribe and language, to come into relationship with him, to discover healing and wholeness, and to live with him eternally in relationship that brings glory to him and health to us. The end goal of God was different than what they anticipated and what they had assumed. 
And they had a lot invested in their way of life. And Jesus upset the apple cart and the tables in the temple. Their pride got in the way of recognizing who Jesus was and how much better life in him could be. Again, the next time that you step into a question with a friend, just ask him, hey, tell me about what you believe about Jesus. I just want to know. Listen to their response before you jump in in the conversation. Just listen carefully to how they're responding and why they frame what they are saying the way that they frame it. And ask yourself, how can I help them see who Jesus truly is so that they might know him and know that their understanding of who he is falls so short and it diminishes them. It diminishes you when you have a low view of Jesus. Do you know that? It sets the bar so low for what your life is intended to be and how you can enter into a relationship with him that's so much better. They assumed that the Messiah would be a military, a human military ruler and not God in the flesh. Even though they had repeatedly suffered through disappointing Messiahs, people calling them Messiah, they still believed that that when the Messiah came, he was going to meet their expectations, that he was going to be a human military leader because they were thinking short-term about their immediate needs because they had been struggling under the thumb of Rome. Oftentimes, we try to think about Jesus in terms of ways that will help us in the short term. We limit what God is about. He's thinking about the end. He's thinking about the future. He's thinking about the world and all of us and our place in it. And his aspirations will always come true. And his plan is good. And it's larger than what we anticipate. He came in human form to accomplish eternal things, to conquer death and the forces of evil. He came in the flesh so that we might know him and his great love for us. He came with a plan, an eternal plan that includes you. It can if you embrace it. And for they assumed that God would remain at a comfortable distance. Of all their wrong assumptions, this remains the most persistent and consequential, I believe. When God draws close to us, we have to respond. So it's easier for us to try to create distance so that he stays away from our business. The thing of it is, God loves us so much that he's not going to stay out of our business. It's not our business, actually. It's his. And God is inviting us to draw close to him in a way that will provoke change and growth in us and life in us. And he was challenging all those things out, all those false assumptions that warred against them really knowing Jesus. Now, shameless plug. Um, Starting the first week of February, we're going to have a a small group that's going to meet at 9 o'clock here at church. And if you have a friend who is just investigating Jesus, we're going to have some food, we're going to show a couple video clips, and then we're going to have discussion. And we're going to take people through a process so that they might understand who he is. I want to invite you to just start thinking about, is there a friend I can invite in an uncomfortable, I mean, (laughs) yeah, it will be uncomfortable eventually, but a comfortable environment initially that they they can talk about Jesus and have discussion and dialogue.
So, so these things Jesus is demonstrating about himself. And one of the clearest, most succinct passages about who he is and how distinct he is is found in the book of Colossians. I promised you last week we turned there, so I want to turn there. Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians 1. One of the towering passages of Scripture. I'm going to read it starting in verse 15 through verse 20. These are statements God's Word is making about Jesus. We'll just read it, and then we'll explain it a bit. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The text makes this wildly great claim about Jesus. A set of claims. Here's the first one. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus makes what's invisible, that is God, visible to us. Ray Steadman, um, a pastor who is now with Jesus from the Bay Area here, often tells the story of this little boy who uh, is drawing pictures on the floor and his mom is doing all these things. Then she notices her son's drawing this picture on the floor with a crayon. And uh, so, you know, before she gets totally upset, she says, oh, what are you drawing? And the little boy says, I'm drawing God. I'm drawing God. And she says, huh. You know, she's trying to figure out how to respond to that. Um, And she says, but, you know, no one knows what God looks like. And the little boy says, they will when I get through. (laughs) I like that story. It's the story of Jesus. It's why he came so that you might know what God looks like, what he talks like, what he lives like. You might know his great affection for you and the the ends by which he would go to so that you might have relationship with him. It's what he looks like, the image of the invisible God. And he is the firstborn, the text says, not referring to his birth order as some cults mistakenly understand, But the phrase means that he is the creator of all and therefore he is the heir and the owner and the possessor of all creation. The next statement is going to make clear for us that he is the creator of all, all things. And they were created by him and for him is what the text says. So when it talks about the firstborn, it's talking about his ownership and that he is the heir of all things, the possessor of all. And that's a characteristic that only God could have. And that next phrase says, all things were created by him and for him. He created the entire cosmos, and the cosmos exists for him. 
that creation exists for him. Paul describes later on, he declares in this really great Christological passage in Philippians chapter 2, that the time is coming when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. Everyone know and acknowledge that he is the Lord God. Everyone will get it one day. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. But between that day and this day, Jesus wants you to know that he truly is the master of all. And it was for him this morning when he got up, perhaps there was um, fog in the air. I was driving to church and it's cool scenes of you know, clouds and, and I, was, I was arrested by the beauty of it. You know why that happened? That happened for him. God created that so that I might see his beauty and his glory and say, oh, I get it. He's alive and well and demonstrating his power and his beauty and his creativity to me. That's why he's doing what he's doing this morning. All things, including you, were created for him and by him. Creation, of course, involves the work of the whole trinity. It's proper to say that the Father willed that there should be a creation. And all the initiatory movement happens because the Father willed it. In history, it was the desire of the Father. And the Son then planned it. He programmed it, designed it. Even the slightest detail, he's the architect and designer of it. And the Spirit is the executor. He carried it out. He made it actually appear. That's what Scripture teaches. And all of them are God in one. And Scripture says here in Colossians 1, he is before all things. That is, Above all things, he has the importance and the priority. He is before all things means he exists outside of his own creation. Therefore, he was first. It describes that he is the one who is eternal, both in the past and in the future. And only God is that way. As C.S. Lewis has pointed out, he is over creation as king and as sovereign, not subject to or part of it, but he is intimately related to it. His hand, his touch, his in all things. And Jesus, it says, holds all things together. Scientific discovery has taught us that there's this incredible force in the cosmos that actually holds opposing forces in the atom together and in the cosmos together. Why does it all hold together like it does in such delicate, creative balance? Why? Scripture's answer is because Jesus And his infinite power is holding it together. That infinite power describes one that only can be described as God himself. And he is preeminent, Colossians 1 teaches us, that he is the king and ruler over all. Abraham Kuyper, who was once the president of the Netherlands, said this, When Jesus looks at his universe from his exalted throne at the right hand of the Father, and sees the great galaxies whirling in space, the planets and the people upon this planet, and all the minute details of life here, including all the details of our individual lives. There is nothing that he sees anywhere of which he cannot say, mine. Isn't that good? All things that he can say, that's mine. 
And all the fullness of God, Colossians 1 teaches us, dwelled in him. He wasn't partially human, partially divine. Scripture teaches that he was fully God and fully man. And that is intended to make you drop your jaw and say, wow, that's staggering. (laughs) Really? How can I get my head around that? And then he closes by saying, he reconciled, that is Jesus, reconciled all things to God. All the things that were broken and separated and irreparably damaged. He reconciled, he brought near, he healed through his blood shed on the cross. Through his great sacrifice, he repaired. He brought life. He brought the opportunity for you right now to buy in, to understand, to know who Jesus is and to experience life because of that. To experience life this week and the next week and eternal life. And all that you would have to do is to acknowledge the truth of what Jesus did and own it and buy in. I'm going to ask you just to have a little private moment right now, if you would, please. Um, I'm reminded that this, this truth, it holds out such great hope for us. You have friends, perhaps family members this last year, who are not with us because they went to be with Jesus. And you felt the grief and the struggle of that But the reason you have hope is because he is God. And he promised your friend or your family member eternal life if they would but turn their life to him. They would acknowledge who he is and place their faith in him and confess their wrong, their shame, their guilt, and step into a relationship with him and receive his love. And perhaps... That is not your story as you've come this morning. You have not yet made that commitment. And if that's your story and you want to do that and experience new life right now, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. Put it in your own words. But right now, I'm just calling you in view of Jesus, the divine one, the only one in history who's proven himself to be God, to give him ownership Lordship of your life. And when you do, he will change you. He will heal you. He will reconcile you to the power of what he did on the cross. Just pray with me. Oh, Lord, I need this Jesus. And I acknowledge that I'm not God and you are. And even though it's difficult, I'm going to place my trust in you for my life right now and into the future. Because of your great sacrifice on a cross, I'm asking you for forgiveness for my sins, to heal me and to give me eternal life, knowing that you promised that you can reconcile all things and you can repair all the damage in my life. First and foremost, the damage I have 
separation I have between you, myself and you. Oh God, heal that. I give myself to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Scripture tells us that if we take that step, we are new in him because he's not just a teacher. He's the one that can actually forgive sins and he demonstrated who he is. And if you took that step, don't leave without telling someone so that we can help you in your walk with the Lord. There's a lot about Christianity that is unique and even in our culture, offensive. It's offensive because people want to make up their own way to God. They want to hold on to their own false assumptions. They want to say all roads lead to God. That's not the story of the Bible. It's not the story of history. It's not your story. All roads don't lead to God. As offensive as that might sound, as exclusive as that might sound, there is only one who has claimed to be God and demonstrated it And because he has, he has the right to invite you into a relationship into the family of God because of what he has done. There is only one who claims to be both God and man, and it's Jesus. So here is a way to apply that. Have a conversation with a friend or a family member in your world to give you their perspective on Jesus. Just ask him, who do you think Jesus is? Don't jump in with all the answers right away. Just listen to them. And then invite them actually to get educated, to think more deeply about who Jesus is. Invite them to think about maybe the gospel of John to step in and start reading the Bible because God's word teaches and instructs us and moves us. Invite him to talk to you, have a conversation about Jesus. Jesus does not revolve around you or me or my friend. We revolve around him. We live to give him glory and all creation, including myself, is for him. And that's where life can be found. And because he's divine, he can make this great difference in me and in you. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.